Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Sheehan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Sheehan Miller is a 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Sheehan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this next episode of Kuden. I'm Eric White, joined by Jeffrey Miller somewhere in the world on the road today. How are you, sir? <laughs> As usual. I'm fine. On it's the road again. <laughs> yeah, but not in a bad way. It's up to 60. <laughs> this is episode 50. Oh, episode. Episode 60. I thought you were trying to say it's 60 degrees where you are. I was I was going to be jealous. Uh, good morning. Much well, welcome here. to the Western world. <laughs> Thanks for paying attention. <laughs> I don't anyway, I don't hear so good. Uh, I don't, uh, my <laughs> I don't ears hear don't so hear good. good. Uh we got a we got a few folks with us live on the call. Uh hello to Lee yeah, and Anonymous. I love somebody signed in actually put their name in as Anonymous. Uh Did they? Yeah, yeah, well that's what it that's what it says according to uh, the uh, panel here. So uh, maybe that's just I an hope, option. Well, hopefully that was the service. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't know if I like that person's sense of humor or not. <laughs> <laughs> We've also got some uh, handful of folks with us on the webcast. Uh, hello to Tim and uh, Thomas. Uh, thanks, everybody, for being here with us on this episode of Kuden. A uh, couple of good topics to get right into. Uh, you know, we've uh, been trying to share some of these little clips through the Facebook page and for Kuden Elite members to get some little extra uh, video clips because oftentimes we'll get into discussions and it's like it feels like maybe there's something we should show a visual example of. So I like to pull out those things when they come up and, and give you a little snippet of uh, something to, to look at. And um, recently there was a question, I think it was Josh, talked about drawing drawing the sword from behind the back, and often we see Ninja depicted as carrying the sword on the back. And we had a really good uh, discussion about why that is, how it works, where it doesn't. Um, but you had you some further kind of follow-up to that. Right, yeah, that was one of our, our clips that you can see on uh, on, on the Kuden uh, podcast page, uh, Facebook page. I don't think and... that one's edited. It's not up yet. Oh, okay. Okay, maybe that one's not. the Yeah, the from it, the, it behind be the back. Same. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of considerations that if uh, folks are missing those little details, um, it can be a real, uh, you know, little twister. But anyway, I wanted to revisit this just a little bit because um, something was gnawing at me um, because I was, uh, I don't know, there's something that I felt, not that I was missing, and there I am using that word felt. God, I hate when people do that. They use the word feel when they really should be using the word think. Uh -huh. That really cracks my crawl. Anyway, um, so, yeah. Anyway, uh, a couple of years ago, a bunch of years ago, well, for me, everything's a couple of years ago. Then I find out it was 18. So uh, uh. it's just, I guess, the nature of my age. Anyway, uh, some point in my previous training with Hatsumi Sensei, uh, he was discussing this drawing the back thing and uh, how uh, it, the sword could be tied because we talked about that, right? One of the one of the 
things with the sword being tied to the body was if the, if the ninja was shoring it down to the body for long distance running or whatever. But they still might need to pull it, okay? Um, and what what really starts to get folks is, you know, how, how do you do that? How do I tie this thing on there and then pull a 28 or 36-inch razor blade or, you know, whatever out of the uh, off the back? Well, uh, in the in uh, I think it's in the upcoming uh, comparison between the the katana and the uh, the Togakure uh, Ninjato or the uh, the mm. Shinobi katana that you did with the shorter sword, right? Uh, and that is that is the, the the video that'll be coming that everybody will see, uh, and you'll see you know how how a lot of this stuff works, right? Where the the scabbard's the, the, the same length as a katana, the handle's the same length. Uh, what's different is the length of the blade. So gives you a little bit more speed with drawing and all that. But um, that's just the Togakure sword, right? Because, I mean, when mm-hmm. we talk about Nijutsu, again, people tend to generalize. Like, you know, um, I mentioned that I was uh, in the Army, and somebody says, hey, do, do you know, uh, and they name some name. And I'm like, oh, yes, because everyone in the Army knows all of the other hundreds <laughs> of thousands. Oh, you mean that's not a thing? Oh. No. Anyway. (laughs) No. Um, Today I learned. And, and, you know, we warn all the time about how folks, uh, to be careful about jumping on anything just because it has a ninja name tag on it, right? Mm, Uh, Because often these things are not. This is huge back in the 80s. Um, uh, As a matter of fact, one of my closest friends uh, in the arts, uh, his name's Robert. He lives in the New, Jer- New York, New Jersey area. Um, uh, no, not him. I'm sorry. Hannibal. Hannibal. Yeah. How could I forget Hannibal? Right? <laughs> There's been movies made of it. No, movies made about a different Hannibal. Anyway, um, Hannibal had trained with one of these guys for a good couple of years, and here he comes to find out that this guy was a uh, karate, judo, whatever flavor of the day kind of instructor. Mm. who was another one of these guys that got pissed off because needed to, you know, hit the shores of, of America, exploded, everybody was interested in it, and they were losing students. So mm. uh, what does any, uh, you know, what does any unscrupulous teacher do uh, to not have to close their doors or, I don't know, figure out a better way to uh, highlight and communicate the benefits of what they do so that it actually attracts students? Um, what they do is they... Uh, take down one sign that has one martial art on it, and they have, they put up another sign that has uh, teaching authentic Japanese ninjutsu or ninja training, and they go from wearing white keys yesterday to black keys today. Mm. And people bought it, right? Well, yeah. unfortunately, my friend did for a while until he caught on, and then, you know, he had invested, uh, I don't know, five, six, seven years to this kind of thing. Wow. Anyway, so we have, you know we we need to be careful with that kind of stuff. But uh, it's the same thing with our lineages, right? Um, even though Togakure Ryu, Gyokushin uh, and Kumugakure Ryu are three ninja schools within the nine schools that I that they uh, has Soke shipped to, they're not the same, okay? If we really get down to brass tacks, right? Most ninja schools were simply put together for espionage and information gathering, right, to do those things um, that the samurai were not, uh, you know, allowed because of code and honor and, you know, all that wonderful stuff because it was cheating, right? 
yeah. they weren't allowed to do, right? So this is how they support their families and whatever, right? So some schools, like Forgot Rare to You, because it was founded by a person who was originally a samurai, right, um, who then became known as this, you know, ninja or shinobi uh, kind of warrior or whatever. But anyway, uh, so there's, there's some uniqueness to each of these things. Okay, so when we talk about any given thing, there are always exceptions. And I'm not sure if I mentioned exceptions during the last one, but if you ever hear me teaching teach on anything, uh, the implication is we're talking about ninjutsu. So, one, it's never what it looks like. And, two, there, of course, there are always exceptions. There are no finite lists in ninjutsu, right? Mm. The, mm-hmm. Whatever, there's always something on that list that opens it up to a whole new dimension, kind of like in the in the ninja's fist, right? The... Uh, uh, the uh, 18 fists, right? One of the fists is called Chizenken, natural fist, right? That doesn't mean what a lot of people think it means, like a replacement for, a you know, a, a balled-up fist or uh, however they want to make a fist or whatever, right? Chizenken is a label for any weapons on the body that, or any parts of your body that you can use against the opponent's body that are not currently listed on the the uh, on the remaining 17 right mm. so mm-hmm. uh yeah so anyway so um so that being said this one teaching that I today uh was giving uh talked about how uh very often the ninja sword the blade itself rarely exceeded 20 inches now to give you uh give you an idea about that right i went to my pro shop yesterday at the, at, the, at the martial arts school, and I pulled some wooden Vulcan, right, training swords down off the wall. Not the katana. Mm-hmm. We, we know about those, right? But I grabbed uh, the ninja toe, because we have both the curved blade and the straight blade versions. Um, and anyway, I grabbed these things, right? And they measured in at 23 inches. And while that extra three inches doesn't sound like a lot, when you're about four feet two inches tall, that's a ginormous amount. Mm-hmm. For us... Mm-hmm little bit longer arms maybe not so much okay uh but that's that comes in at like i said 23 inches and then uh i grabbed a uh wakazashi right a shoto whatever you want to call it right um and it came in at about 18 inches 17 and a half 18 inches okay and then I grabbed a uh, – you can get these Vulcan for actually for kids, right? So the youth katana that's being sold by some companies, right, it's just smaller for smaller bodies, right? My teens and adults use the adult version and whatever. So uh, they have this shorter one, and it still came in at 21, 22 inches, right? Mm. So I put this thing behind my back, and I, and I extended my arm straight, and it was still hooking on the back part of my clavicle, top of my uh, uh, shoulder blade, okay? So that extra inch, inch and a half makes a huge difference, okay? But we also have to consider the way that the sword would have been tied to the body, which is really important. The Japanese have all kinds of different types of knots and, and whatever, right? But I find it very difficult to believe that the ninja would not have figured out a way to lash the sword to the body, but also allow for some play 
that you could still do that that drawing the scabbard. You're not going to draw it all the way off, but you're going to give yourself, a, you know, a two, three-inch, whatever, uh, leeway. So you're still going to reach back and grab the bottom of the saya or the tail end of the saya, right, um, mm-hmm. to pull down as you're drawing this short bush knife, which is really what it is. If you, if you look in, um, I think it's uh, Nijutsu History and Tradition, the first book that Hatsumi Sase had written about Nijutsu that was published in English uh, or here in the West, um, in the sword section, there's a reference that the, uh, along with other things about the way that tsuba was made and all that, that the ninja's uh, sword was little more than like a bush knife kind of thing, right, where uh, it was about speed and getting this blade out, but all this was wrapped up in deception, okay? So, you know, uh, you're not, if if you're looking at somebody who's carrying, uh, you know, even what looks like a a short sword, uh, it's probably not that, especially if they're a a practicing ninja. Uh, One of the other examples of that is in how the uh, the ninja modified, uh, or not modified, but borrowed the smaller pistol-like flintlocks that the Portuguese had um, introduced into Japan. The longer uh, arm, the uh, Tanagashima, which is actually named after the port that the that the uh, Portuguese landed in and introduce these firearms, right? So they just called the firearm based on the thing, right? But anyway, the ninja modified these things, and um, so you got these really crude-looking short sword, tanto-ish looking kind of things that would have been worn in the sash, right? Uh, So they they made it to look like it had a scabbard, but everything was very crude because, you know, looking like somebody who... uh, doesn't have the means for anything, so you're you're easy pickings, right? Except that it was a single uh, single shot flintlock, uh, because when the when the weapon was drawn, it wasn't a blade that came out; it was uh, mm. you know a barrel. <laughs> so really cool stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so that was one of the little uh, exceptions I wanted to toss out. That uh, and I, actually in one of the I can't remember where it is anymore. There's a magazine article or there's a write-up somewhere. Um, I don't know. All all this stuff bleeds together anymore after all these years. But uh, uh, it wasn't a thing that they taught it, but it was another one of these folks that were in on these earlier lessons. And uh, they actually suggested that people, uh, you know, cut a boken down to where the blade is like 20 inches. Right, and work at it from there because until you do that, like when Hatsumi said they spend a lot of money to buy uh, spear tips or uh, antique weapons or whatever that would have been owned by a very specific lineage. He does Mm. that because there's no other way to understand that weapon from a theoretical kind of standpoint. Um, So anyway, this guy, uh, this uh, Fujikan teacher, suggested that people make these 20-inch blades um, Mm. to get a better understanding of what it was that you know, and, and, and how this was even uh, possible, right? Hmm. So, anyway, I, I wanted to toss that out there. So, I don't know if you would, uh, had anything else to throw on top of the sword behind the back thing or if you had time to think about it between last, uh, well, I don't know, when did we cover it? Last session or the one before that? 
no, but just kind of along the same lines of, of kind of what you mentioned there with, with kind of making some of these, you know, altered weapons, altering a boken or something, so you can get a feel for it, um, you know, also, you know, trying trying out this kind of technique of drawing from behind the back gives you a real good sense of, like, how <laughs> how uh, cumbersome that could have been uh, or, or how, you know, polished of a technique you need to kind of be able to do that effectively. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it just gives you And you have to remember, too, that... And you have to remember, too, that drawing the sword out of the scabbard to bring it into play, just to get the, 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 the blade naked, um, to get it out of the scabbard, is one thing. Being able to draw and cut in you know, one depth motion, that's something completely different, right? So these, yeah. are, these need to be explored from different perspectives, like the difference between iaijutsu, which is what most people know as a term for uh, a single drawn cut, right, of a target. And the term that we use because of how old it is, right, a bato jutsu, right? On the surface it looks the same, but it's not, right? Um, so so what makes the difference, right? Well, there's intention, there's use, um, there's the whole combat aspect, right? Um, so anyway, I just, you know, um, again, a lot of things became muddled. Uh, because a lot of these, like the Charlotte that I talked about from the uh, 80s, uh, you know, kind of mixed a bunch of things together and uh, because that's what ninjutsu looked like to these people, right? Uh, there's throws in there, so it must have judo in it. There's joint locks in it, so it must have aikido, right? Uh, mm. There's punches and kicks, so there must have karate in it. So what they did was they just mixed a bunch of stuff together and called it ninjutsu. Well, you know, you can carve a dog or a statue of a dog and set it in the middle of your living room but and you can call it a dog you can even give it a name but i highly suggest that it's going to live breathe and act like a dog and if it does right. you let me know because i'm going to come and train with you <laughs> so anyway that, that, that just made me sound like a doubting thomas or a doubting well, Jeffrey or whatever <laughs> Anyway, we also have uh, another one of these questions from Gianfranco. He had submitted a bunch of, of really good questions, so we're kind of spreading these out over a few episodes. And uh, one of them is he, he spoke about how he'd like to know more about Boryaku, uh, one of the 18 skills. He says it's a broader, more societal version of Ninja no Uge. Uh, where you influence current affairs and manipulate fears and needs to bring about a desired outcome. Uh, he says, in the definitions he's seen, it's done such a way that ninja's manipulation is not apparent to outside observers. Um, but right. he says, while I can see how you can manipulate people, he says he struggles to see how you can manipulate events. And he was curious about examples and on that topic. Oh, That's a yeah, good question. Okay. Well, yeah, you barely got through it. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, Boniaku is kind of tied to uh, sometimes it's called Heihol, uh military strategy. So I think everybody's first uh, first approach to this should be to read and really try to understand uh, Sun Tzu's Art of War. Um, that's just a basic treaty uh, as far as the whole military strategy goes, um, and I'm going to have to dig it out again. I, I've used to uh, publish a, a hard 
copy uh, newsletter that was called Hanya, H-A-N-N-Y-A. And mm. you should know the word Hanya, right? Mm-hmm. Hanya mm-hmm. is the Japanese pronunciation of the uh, original Sanskrit, prajna, which sometimes it just used to mean wisdom, but uh, Hanya or prajna means the wisdom that leads to enlightenment. So it's just uh, it was just this cool name that I thought you know here's this extra little piece. It, so it would have been the name that pre uh, predated Kudan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did was uh, since the uh, Art of War is 13 chapters, and um, I was going through it for who knows the umpteenth reading, um, and what struck me at one point was. The, the idea of the universal principles kind of poked through the veil of me reading from the perspective of a general controlling an army, right? Mm-hmm. And it hit me that the current principles were just as applicable when applied to the general, our brain or mindset, controlling the army, the parts of our body, right? So, uh, so what I did... In the, in, uh, I spread it out across all these uh, episodes of Hanya is I uh, I copied each of the chapters from uh, the Art of War and then I did a commentary where I did that little uh, perspective shift and went back through the lesson uh, from the way Sun Tzu had presented it to looking at it from the perspective of you know our perspective and how we're looking at things, and from a from a mano y mano kind of uh, uh, personal self defense uh, situation. So, if you can look at it from that direction, uh, that would be uh, that'd be a good start. Uh, and I don't know if anybody's interested in it. I could dig that stuff out and uh, update it a little bit, and we could certainly turn that into a program. Uh, that uh, again, if anybody's interested. If not, then, uh, you know, there's always YouTube and lots of other videos for your life. So, anyway, maybe I should just make my courses videos and then dance around while I'm teaching theoretical things. So, anyway, um, where am I going with this? Oh, Bodiaki. Uh So, I think part of the question there, uh, well, part of the question is in really understanding what's being taught, the principles and concepts outside of just, you know, the normal thing, right? Uh, one of the first lessons in um, in the Art of War is about deception and how neither uh, governments nor uh, warfare or, or armies can operate effectively without it, that deception. So mm-hmm. it's certainly not, you know, deception is certainly not the purview of the ninja, Um so when he relates it to Ninja no Uge, uh, that's deception and manipulation. Uh, it's not that the samurai didn't have those things. It's how we approach it, right? And uh, and how how do you do that and make it look invisible, right? How that even if somebody discovers that it was going on, they either question themselves um, as though maybe they misunderstood or everything looks like they just did it to themselves, right? Or it was somebody else or whatever. So uh, so there are layers to this. So it's 
this is really deep to go into uh, in just one show, but uh, another good place to start. And again, you, you can't you can't be so stuck on names that you know you're not willing to look at look at lessons. But if you're one of the folks that just won't look at Stephen Hayes things, then okay, then ignore everything I'm about to say. But in the first book that he had written uh, on Nijutsu uh, that was published while he was still living and training in Japan and, quote-unquote, a purist, okay, um, uh, what was the book? The Ninja and Secret Fighting Art. It's either in the last chapter or the next to last chapter uh, where it's on uh, psychological warfare, okay? Uh, this can shed some light on some things as well because – in those uh, or in that section, not only does it go into some of these little things that Ninja would do and all that, but there are two very very important uh, systems that are listed there, okay? and they're both based on the Godai classification system, uh, much to the chagrin of a lot of people who want to, you know, uh, ignore that stuff. But one is called the Five Needs, and one is called the Five Weaknesses. And the need, hmm. the word need, might be desires in that case, but uh, the five desires, the five needs, and the five weaknesses, okay? And the point there is that by learning which need and or which weakness that a given person has as their primary, and by either uh, poking at that weakness or exposing it or threatening to expose it, or by feeding the need or the desire, you can get anyone to do anything, okay? Because those needs and weaknesses actually control a person like addictions, okay? Like un- like unconscious programming, okay? Um, they're drivers, and it's very, very difficult for a person to fight. Now, um, conversely, on the other side, from the, from the Mikio perspective or from the higher order of training uh, level, we want to ferret these things out and neutralize these things as much as possible within ourselves. Not that, you know, these things aren't important. Like in, uh, you know, and some of the things on the list uh, are like uh, wealth or money, that kind of thing, uh, sex, hmm. uh, comfort, security, those kind of things, right? So these things are not bad in and of themselves. What we're talking about is people often gravitate to one or more of these things as crutches as as things that they're either running away from or running toward that really cause problems in their in their lives right or they can expose them to uh, the risk of having these problems so uh, what we want to do is ferret those things out and neutralize the sting of them we don't want to make we don't want to make them go away because they also provide depth of experience and and make our lives you know more fulfilling and things like that but it's the it's the the warped nature of it. It's the addictive nature of it, or the the overwhelming uh, control that that thing has on you. That's the mm. problem, right? So in Mikio, we discuss these things as well. So this this is another good place to to look uh, for some of these things. So um, so but but again, you have to understand it on a base fundamental level before you can start applying it to the next part in Gianfranco's question, which is applying it to uh, social things, uh, and also applying it to um, 
uh, boy, applying it to uh, events. I think that's part of his question, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he talks about events. You know, he, you know, he understands uh, using it to control people, but how do you control events? I mean, events aren't people, and I highly disagree, right? Um, no offense, but unless you're talking about a natural event, like a thunderstorm or something like that, yeah. events absolutely are, and they are um, – not only are they not people, but they come into being, they come into play, they, they come into existence because of the thoughts, words, and actions of people, right? Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. either a chain of people from one to the next to the next that's passing something along, or more often than not, uh, there's a group collective. And that group collective could be anything from a group, council, board, committee, uh group of teachers or students or the entire group within a dojo, whatever, that, um, you know, want to make something happen. They're going to, they're going to have a test night or they're going to do uh, a demonstration at a local fair or whatever. These are all events, right? That fair didn't just happen. That fair came about through the thoughts, words, intentions, actions, planning, and all that of people, right? So, the trick at this level, we're really talking about, um, it can be done at the tune-in level of Nijutsu, right, where we've got the field commanders who need to understand these things and kind of how to insert and, and where we get the best information from and all that. But this is really the purview of the Jonin, the high man, okay, mm-hmm. where um, they either see things coming into play and they want to direct things before they crystallize into something specific, right, which is what the ninja were used for a lot. They were used to steer the events and happenings of that culture so that things didn't get unbalanced, right, so they didn't get uh, so lopsided or whatever. You have to remember, too, that the ninja were all about uh, progress and, you know, new science and anything that could help and all that, where the samurai mentality was typically, if it was good enough for my great 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 grandfather, then this is what we should be preserving, right? Um, Japan should not be, uh, even when the Portuguese came in, right? Um, there was a huge problem um, that you know these Jesuit Christian priests came in and all that kind of stuff, and you know trying to bring all these Western things in, and uh, there was a, a huge wrath uh, put out on these people. Uh, Japan closed for a long time, hmm. uh, mm-hmm. you know, to, to keep Western influence out so that they could keep things uniquely Japanese. That's that's a very samurai mindset, right? But anyway, um, so uh, the idea here is having the ability to see um, where things are going, where things have come from, what given actions or activities uh, can make happen and manifest. Um, there, there's, there's a lot of teachings uh, in Mikyo about this. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the Sanji Shichi Dobon, the 37 Fundamentals leading, leading to Enlightenment, that's the Japanese name for it. It's not what the original Buddha called it. He'd have been speaking in Sanskrit or Pali or uh, whatever he was using then. But um, one of the sets of teachings within these 37 um, are the seven qualities or seven characteristics of an enlightened person, 
right? Mm. And one of these things is the ability to recognize uh, cause and effect and the karmic chain of events, right? So the enlightened person can look at anything and know what karmic chain, both direct karma uh, and secondary karma, you know what I'm talking about with direct and secondary, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. There's a direct cause to any given thing, which is what most people look at, and then they can't figure out why things don't work, right? Because right. they're controlling the direct thing. But there are an in, in, innumerable number of uh, secondary karmic things that cause this thing to, to happen now, right? Um, and even controlling half a dozen of those things increases your uh, chances of success, you know, a hundredfold. But anyway, so being able to – looking at anything – the enlightened mind can see the karmic chain reaching from the past to the present that produced that. Mm-hmm. And if this goes unaffected or unchallenged uh, or anything like that, right, um, then the enlightened mind can also see where this will go and the effects it will cause in the future. Okay? So, yeah. again, there's a whole body of knowledge around this that, that has to do with karma. Like, and this is, the, this is the part that depresses a lot of people, right? Because they know they generated negative karma in their past, right? And so what they're looking for is, uh, who knows, prayer, blessing, magic, whatever, to make that not, to make it just go away, right? That it, it never is going to um, bear fruit or whatever. And hmm. the law of karma is that all karma, all karmic actions set into motion must, play itself out, okay? Now, there is an unless, but it's still, it's still going to play itself out. And it's going in a very specific direction. But it can be acted on and affected on or affected to, uh, it's not going to derail, well, it might derail it, but it's still going to happen, right? Um, it's just not going to happen the way you wanted it to. So, what right. we do in Mikio with merit and generating our own karma and things like that, the whole idea is either to uh, speed up that karmic action or the, the effect so that it happens much faster and you just get it out of the way, right? Um, or we act upon it so as to lessen its effect or whatever. It's still going to play itself out, but we can, we can affect how. And we can affect when, right? That kind of thing. Just like when we're dealing with a with an attacker who is kind of noncommittal, right? He's just talking a bunch of smack and he's moving around and he's, you know, he's he's kind of doing his thing, but he's kind of cautious about us. What we can do to speed up, you know, we we, we know he's gonna we know he's gonna attack, right? We're just kind of caught off and we're we're stuck with um, when, right? So the anxiety is in there and pressure is in there and stress is in there and all that. So yeah. what we can do is shift into a position and into a distance or space where he's willing to take the shot, right? So we may not, we may not be able to determine what he throws or how he throws it, and actually we can the higher in the black belt levels you get, at least in our curriculum you can. Um, the... Uh, you, you can't affect a lot of these things. You can't affect his 
maybe not so much his desire to want to hurt you or whatever because we're already past that point. But what you can do is you can determine when he's going to attack, okay? You, most people are spending so much time trying to avoid the attack that they never consider that hmm. I can I can get him to throw it, okay? Um, as a matter of fact, you can, you can uh, get things so charged up with that energy that passes between two people. I always thought this was a white belt. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world, and it sold me on needed to more than any number of kata or weapons or whatever. And that was the ability to get somebody so heated that they wanted to get you that that if you moved, right, if you did anything, they were just going to slam you, right? So what we did, and the, the trick is in getting them charged up like that, not in not in the move, because the move is you just drop back into Sega. And what ends up happening is because they're in that moment of they need to get you and they have that imperative drive, right, as soon as you move, they attack, except that you're moving away from them. And it sucks them right into the barricade. It's a really cool thing, right? <laughs> but anyway, uh, to answer Gianfranco's question <laughs> in a more direct way, because I'm pointing at all these things that you have to understand before you can look at how this goes into controlling events and not just um, uh, controlling people, right? Um, that you need to be able to see first, you have to be able to see that, that people control these events. Again, unless it's a nature thing, right? Um, and then I'm not even sure about that because I've been taught a Kuji thing or two. Um, and, you know, we've got those power rings and all that. Um mm-hmm. So and I'm not I'm not going into that, and I'm, I won't go into that in any of these programs. Um, so, uh, crap, I'm running out of words here. Um, yeah, so it's just it's 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 being able to pay more attention to how things come into being, and I mean, there's a lot to be known here, or a lot to be learned. You have to understand personality types. You have to understand the drives and motivations behind those people and with those personality types and why they would want to get involved with any given thing or event or whatever. Um, Wars do not just happen out of nowhere, right? Um, You know, people don't just suddenly get upset and, oh, my God, we're going to war. Uh, No, war starts years. The Mm -hmm. possibility of war starts years before um, things happen, right? Um, What tends to delay it... um, Either in squashing it or in let's just you know what let's let's do this right. What tends to squash it is denial, right? People don't want to they don't want to believe that or they are holding on to uh, hope and faith and all that long after you need to be thinking about ducking bullets rather than you know praying for peace kind of thing. I'm not saying that stuff doesn't work. I'm just saying that um, there's a point. Just like mm-hmm. there's a point where people try to rush the war when we're not in that category yet. We're not in that, in that arena. So, um, I don't know. Hopefully I peppered this with enough examples that it answers yeah. that part. Yeah. And I, and, and I kind of, well, you kind of touched a little bit on the nature aspect of it too, you know, influencing nature. And I, the thought that came to mind was, uh, you know, Tenmon or or the meteorology or understanding weather patterns being part of those eighteen kind of core skills and how that could right. easily from from outside looking in at somebody who's 
uh, aware of those things and knows, you know, weather patterns. Uh, and again, as you as you spoke on, kind of just knowing how things come into being, come into play, that using those things to your advantage, uh, you know, on the battlefield or uh, just you're planning a party and you know it's going to rain this weekend, right? So you move it a day and now you've gotten away from that. So just being aware of those things and how how they operate uh, allows you to, to kind of work around and from the outside looking in, like, looks like you, you made it sunny, sunny today kind of thing. Um, yeah, and well, you, you know, know we and, of, but, but is it about the sunny or did I produce a positive event rather than one that got washed out? Right. See, a lot of this goes to perspective. Yeah. What was created? What's the goal, right? So a lot of people live their lives by accident. They think they're being intentional, but there's so much they're not paying attention to, and there's so many choices, decisions, and beliefs that they take on or, or make that are just ad hoc, like training in Nijitsu. That's a good mm. example, right? There's a lot of people that will swear by the Bujinkan and swear by Nijitsu and all that, but they have no other martial arts experience other than seeing movies or knowing that other people told them that that sucks or their own ego told them that anything other than what they're doing sucks. When the reality for that person, and this isn't just need to do it, it could be any other martial art, right? When the reality yeah. is that that person lives in a big city, and the school that they chose is either between their work and their home, or it's within a, a driving distance of no more than 12 and a half minutes. How do I know that? Because they have statistical data on people. And in my area, people break from that because it's, it's a semi-rural area, so it's more spread out, right? Mm. So people mm -hmm. have to take their kids much farther for soccer games or whatever, right? But in the city, in the urban environment, okay, and people can check themselves on this, unless you absolutely positively must have something from some place that is outside of this, most of your world and most of the places you go and choose and, and, and interact with routinely – are within a 12-and-a-half-minute drive from your house or from your job, okay? So now, marketers have figured this stuff out, right? So that's something that gets taught in different programs and courses and things like that, right? So how do you get people to go farther? Well, they have to have a burning desire for not only that thing, like a certain type of sandwich or like my wife will drive – farther for a certain chicken salad from this one place because, now I wouldn't eat it, but because it has french fries and the onions and peppers on it are grilled instead of fresh. But everything else on it is fresh. Well, except, you know, the chicken's grilled, right? Mm. So mm -hmm. um, I don't see the allure, so I don't go there, right? But she will drive out of her way to go to this thing, and it's outside of a, a convenient thing. I mean, it's like 30 minutes from our house, right? But every once in a while, she just gets a drive for this thing and she needs to go so um but anyway we, we need to we need to consider these things and most people don't okay so uh if most people could be summed up by the word or by the name bob um don't be bob right um the the, the i mean this this all goes back to all of these trainings just like in mikyo everything goes back to the four noble truths taught uh in uh theravada or hinayana buddhism right Everything hmm. goes back to that or points at it or um, makes it more clear or brings out more power from it or whatever. Um, 
everything in our training goes back to very core things and not just the Sanchin and the Kianapo. How about if it goes back even before that to the three aspects of a ninja, right? The Miwo Shinobu, the Kokoro Shinobu, and the Shikiwo Shinobu, right? Which are all about perspective and the ability to take on and endure and overcome challenges that would scare the bejesus out of the average individual, right? The training should be harder than anything you will face in your life. And that's not true for most people. Okay? It takes a lot of work to be this warrior wizard Hmm. that we all fantasize about. But, you know, look at all the things that Hatsumi, you've been to Japan. How many times uh, has Hatsumi Sensei mentioned certain no plays or certain uh, uh, Western or Japanese or Chinese or whatever authors or playwrights or um, Mm -hmm. whatever, right? Ancient teachers and stuff like that. And people just nod, like horses munching on hay, right? But how many people have actually gone and pulled those books off the shelf and even gave it a cursory glance? I haven't done I haven't done all of them. I haven't done yeah. probably 25% of them. The ones I have done have helped me, I don't know, teach the way I teach, I guess. Hmm. So, anyway. I don't know if that answered his question or not. I guess we'll have to wait until he listens to the recording and lets us know. <laughs> then we'll find out. Yeah, does anybody well, else see have any we questions? We have a uh, few times for questions here. I can open this up. So does anybody have any questions or comments about that mess that I just threw out? Don't hear any. Don't hear any questions. Any questions? Uh, <laughs> there's crickets. Any any questions about something we haven't covered yet? Uh, it can be totally new topic. You mean Chris didn't post one like five or six hours ago? No, and uh, I saw him briefly. It looked like he jumped on this call, but then uh, he's not there yeah, he's slacking. now. <laughs> he's slacking. <laughs> anyway, um, I didn't see anything that came in on the on the Twitter podcast page. No, I did not. Uh, I did not either. Any other topics that you can think of that have come in, or that I don't know? What What do you have? What's What's going on in the world today that uh, people from a ninja mindset should be focused on? I've kind of boxed myself in to to get the, these websites done and to get some other yeah. stuff finished. So well, you know, repeatedly we continue to see kind of uh, you know, there's been a few. Uh, school shooting incidents that have happened in the past, oh, I guess I'd say month, um, not on a, quite as big a scale as some others, but um, you know we've we've seen some of those pop up in the news. And interestingly, um, one that I recently was just kind of glancing over an article about uh, had to do with some of the fallout from the folks uh, at the school that were in charge, quote unquote, of security or who had been the trained. Uh, unarmed, as they called them, security uh, folks at the school. And, and in this particular right. uh, case, this uh, this person, uh, actually the two people were being transferred out of the school uh, because of how they reacted to this school shooting incident. And, um, you know, a couple things, uh, of course, immediately you go, okay, these are, these are the folks that kind of, quote, unquote, got the training and did not follow through on alerting people to this event that was about to take place and, and ended up kind of you right. know 
heading for cover or saving themselves sort of thing without raising the alarm. And that immediately made me think of, you know, again, personal responsibility that you can't you can't always be relying on those who are in these jobs, police and otherwise, to protect you. you you've got to get this training for yourself because ultimately at, at the end of it, you're personally responsible for that uh, and, and things like this will happen. But what also kind of jumped out at me uh was that this gentleman was giving an interview to the officers and investigators and mentioned about how they had all had a meeting uh, not that long ago or had talked about the individual who came and did the shooting that if anybody was going to do it, they knew this individual was, was likely to be the one. Uh, and and it's like, you know, how uh, how folks can kind of see the writing on the wall and then still nothing's done. Uh, you know that really jumped at me. That again, That's these are the really people that point. are put into charge uh, of taking care of folks, and you know, of course, everybody's sensitive. I think to profiling and all of that. But when when you hear it so often, like you know, we knew it was going to be this guy, and then it was this guy who did this thing. Uh, it seems crazy that nothing was done. Yeah, I mean that that brings up a, a, a huge point, and it's not even about the story itself. The story highlights this thing that, you know, it's easy to it's easy to go to training and it's easy to say, you know, somebody becomes me, man, I'm going to, right? Um, and then actually being able to do that in the moment when things are happening, right? Um, I remember a quote from way back. I'm, I don't know if I was still a white belt or I was definitely in the earlier belts. And he, he, there, I, th- I think it was actually in an article in a magazine or something because they highlighted this thing. And, uh, this is one of those things that just burned itself into my mind. And he said, if you cannot do what you cannot do when you must, you will die. So even if we take out the second thing that sounded like I stuttered, mm-hmm. everybody's training, right? But if you, if you get freaked out, if you panic, like those first responders that, you know, ran for cover for themselves and they didn't do what they were supposed to be doing, right? If you can't do what you need to do, um, in the moment that you're supposed to be training for, then this was a whole bunch of wasted time, effort, and money, right? But I think that they actually said, if you cannot do what you cannot do, when you must, then you will lose. Or you will die. Now, that second cannot do goes back to that training. I reworded it. I, I call it something else. Remember the mm. teachings that we've done or the, the lessons we've done on the um, the realm of the unknown unknown? Yeah. Right? So if you don't do any exploring, this goes back to Gianfranco's uh, question, right? If you're not doing any studying, if you're not getting outside of your comfort zone, if you're not exploring things beyond surface level or whatever – and you're not including more things into your realm of the known, then not only do you run the risk of not being able to do the skills you've trained in because either you didn't train hard enough, well enough, correctly, whatever, but you run the risk of not having a tool in your toolbox that will be the thing that you need when you need it. Like I know a lot of people... Um, in the Bujinkan, I know a lot of people in the martial arts 
that would just like firearms to go away, okay? Um, they're anti-gun and all that. And that's fine. They can be whatever they want, except that we live in the 21st century. And there's no country that doesn't have guns in it. I, I know there's lots of countries that have, you know, anti-gun laws, but there's no countries that do not have guns in them. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the bad guy can show up in front of you with that or another type of weapon or whatever, you know, so do we carry one because we can or whatever, or do we even go beyond that to where when somebody pulls one, we can take it away from them and now we know how to use this thing, right? Uh, you've been to some of my gun courses. One of the things I teach at level one is if you disarm somebody when we're doing uh, uh, disarms, right? Why yeah. learn disarm, man? You just pull your gun and shoot him, right? Except that his gun may be out first. So mm-hmm. if his gun's out first, his finger needs to twitch to shoot you. You need to move an entire arm, hand, body to draw to get the thing. So either way, right? But let's say that I, I do a disarm and I take this thing from him and I'm carrying my own weapon, right? I've seen so many people do nothing more than disarm people and turn that gun around on the bad guy. That's like this this 99.9% of, of the, the, the ideology or the, or the theory or the, the belief yeah. system or, or whatever, the philosophy for, for gun disarms. They, they turn the bad guy's gun back on him. Except what if he's a thug or somebody who, you know, he stole a gun, but he can't afford ammo. What if the gun's unloaded? What if it's been laying around and it's not mine or somebody else that's either a vet or somebody has been taught to, to respect firearms all their lives? And this isn't about shooting, by the way. This is about knowing that every once in a while you take it apart, you clean it, you re-oil it and all that so that this thing lasts and it's operational and functional whenever you need it, right? You don't know that the firing pin's going to work. You don't know anything about that weapon. But the one on your hip or in your shoulder rig or behind your back, wherever you carry it, you know exactly what that thing does. So in a level one seminar for, for, for disarms, I have you disarm the, the person, but if, you, um, if you're carrying, pull your own. Mm-hmm. Don't even try to fumble with theirs. Because the last thing you need is to have that elated feeling of, aha, I have it, and then this guy's jumping you and beating you into the ground because he knew it wasn't loaded, but you didn't, right? You made an assumption that got you killed, right? So, again, here's another one of those aspects that fall into the category of the second um, don't know, right, or can't do or whatever. That's what he's talking about, right? Um, If you can't act properly or appropriately in a moment, because there was something you forgot to consider as a part of your training, you're dead. Yeah. Was that too harsh? No. <laughs> Not at all. No, damn it. <laughs> hard, hard to train yourself as a survivor if you're only going to look at, you know, like, this guy's going to throw a punch and, you know. Um, you've, been to, you've been to a lot of different trainings with me. Um, mm-hmm. Remember, uh, we, we used to do um, – Level one uh, survival uh, yeah. seminars. Done that and one. Part of the level one survival seminar, we covered the the nine initial steps for successful survival. So everything from like water collection and fire and all that, but also those initial stage decision making kind of things, right? Like what happens? What do I have usable aids on hand? All that kind of stuff, right? And 
during those things, do you remember me posing, um, uh, I guess we'll call them ethical questions for action? Um, because, you know, we're there, and there's a problem, right? And you've got all this training, right? So you assess the situation, and you make a decision based on uh, whether or not anybody's going to know that you're missing now, um, mm -hmm. where they're going to be able to get in to find you, right? So the basic point is do you stay or do you move? Right. Right. Do you go yeah. find help or whatever? Right. So you've made this decision that, you know, you need to go and the best direction based on your reading of the lay of the land and, and things like that is in a given direction. Right. And I'm not going to, you can't see me. Yeah. Clear, so it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. So pick a direction. Right. But there's some big freaking muscle bound, tough guy, whatever. Right. Who decides bullshit, man, we're going that way. Right. And um, you say, well, that's fine, right? I mean, I'm not arguing with you, right? You guys can do whatever you want. I'm going that way. Just based on my experience and my training, we should go that way. Anybody wants to go with me, you can go with me. Otherwise, you know, you, you, you can go with him, whatever, right? And he doesn't take that as a possible option. He has put himself in a position of command, and because mm. he's the bigger guy, He's decided that everybody's going with him, and he's willing to drive you into the ground for it, right? So now how do you handle that situation? Knowing that either way you act, you're going to be affecting the decisions of other possible survivors. I can't answer yeah. that for you. Hmm. You have to figure that out for yourself, right? So, again, we're right back to personality types. We're back to um, is this person being driven by a weakness of fear or uh, a need for control uh, or are they being driven by a desire, right? Um, and then, you know, can you manipulate that or can you um, very quickly garner allies within that group, right, that might be closer to his size than you are? You get the idea, right? So there's a yeah. lot of these things that, that we need to go beyond the get together with a training partner and practice Ichimonji no kata or seon or shiaku or whatever kata, right, or whatever whatever type of training you're going to do, we need to get out of that freaking bubble and get our freaking heads on straight as strategic thinkers and tactical logist logisticians, how about that one, right, um, <laughs> so that we can assess a situation and develop a freaking game plan and we're not just a bunch of trained monkeys who can duck punches and throw punches. But then I'm not here to tell anybody how to practice ninjutsu because, uh, in the words of several of my teachers, there are many different types of ninjutsu. Hmm. You know, just like there's different types of Buddhism or whatever, right? Um, you do the one that you think is going to work best for you. Just make sure right. that you're, if your focus is survival, that you've factored in as many variables as you can, that you can think of. And make sure that you're on the lookout for other variables. Right. Um, Lee Lee uh, made made a comment when he came in for spring camp about um, these things and how they get factored in uh, at our live training and stuff like that. That you know we over the course of and he was only there for one day. So I, and I think on that day, I think we only worked on three techniques. But the things that we looked at were about uncovering 
things that most people don't look at, don't consider, you know, huh. anything like that, right? Yeah. And these aren't just yeah. variations, right? Black belt training, high-level training should be less about technique and more about um, scenario development and uh. being able to apply the techniques that you've learned up to that point in different types of scenarios, right? Like the, the eight-directional movement, right? Um, what what um, When most people say key on up bow, they think of eight techniques, right? Um, but that would be eight things, right? So that would be kihon hapan in Japanese. Kihon hmm. bow is about being able to move in infinite directions, right? Being able to do your fundamentals in many, many different ways. So uh, just the other day, I was um, putting together a little uh, plan for a class, and I'm not sure if uh, I'm just going to use it for my um, internal guys, for my Shinobi Kai guys, or if it's going to turn into, or it's going to work its way into a program or something. But um, the eight directions of moving, right, into a kamai, right? So we can move straight back, straight forward, left, right, left or right forward diagonal, left or right rear diagonal. That's our basic eight directions, right? Um, it's one thing when you're working in a dojo. It's a whole other thing to be able to very quickly, in less than a couple of seconds, right? determine what your better angle is when you're in a parking lot between two parked cars because there are lots of variables wrapped around those words between parked cars. Where are you? How are you aligned with him? How are you aligned with the cars? Are you flanked by the sides, the doors of the adjacent cars? Are you at the plus sign intersection? Maybe it's not a plus sign. Maybe it's a three-point because there's an open uh, parking space, right? Where are you standing relative to those different things? So now we're looking at not only Kionapo, but we've crossed over into the koto use kudai-dori, right? Um, Being in touch with the space and the spatial relationships between our bodies and not just how far apart we we look at our bodies from a two-dimensional thing, but how far is our left shoulder from his right shoulder or sternum or whatever's right in front of it, how far is our right shoulder from that? How far is my right side from a given wall? Or where am I located in that space? So, again, you know, there's there's stuff that's that's, for advanced training, it's important, right? Advanced Hmm. doesn't just mean that you've been around for 35 years and uh, you've been doing the same techniques over and over again. Uh, the same way, and you're just grease lightning with them. Great. Well, fantastic. What are you going to do with them? Under what conditions will that work, and under what conditions will that fail? If you don't know that, it's a crapshoot. Might as well go to Vegas. Hmm. We can blame G and Frank. Well, the last part here, I guess we can blame you. But, uh, <laughs> Sorry. And, and no, he had a great question. Go back question. to the new thing for just a quick second here. The, the last thing I want to say, and it just popped into my head while we were talking about these other things, was um, everybody needs to be acutely aware of the way Facebook and all these other um, groups, um, the, the social networks and stuff, work these algorithms, right? Yeah. That whatever you see in your news feed and whatever gets fed to you by way of ads or whatever, those kind of things, are all based on what you have already seen, looked at, liked, commented on, or whatever, and they have a profile on you, and it's quite in-depth. They probably know more about you than you know about yourself and your decision-making. And so what they do is they keep feeding you that which you already want to look at. 
So unless you're like me, who will sometimes arbitrarily click on something, just, you know, it's the opposing viewpoint or whatever, and a lot of times I do read the opposing viewpoint because nobody has, um, nobody has the corner on truth, right? So I want to see what's going on. I want to, you know, whatever, right? So yeah. I, I think I have a fairly balanced news feed uh, politically. There's Republican, Libertarian, Independent, uh, Constitutional um, uh, guys. There are uh, Democrats, everybody. Everybody's in there, right? Um, but on my wife's, it's not that way. Right, they they just keep feeding her stuff. That, you know, it's the same. It's the same storyline. So here's the here's the gauge. Here's the litmus test. If ninety percent or more of what you see on your timeline makes you nod your head in agreement, then your timeline's not balanced. Hmm. Yeah. They're showing you the same stuff you already believe in and you already want to see, and it doesn't challenge you. It doesn't get you outside. I mean. How else will you understand a possible opponent's point of view if all you do is argue about the opponent and you have no idea about their train of thought or uh, karmic conditions or whatever that may drive them in that direction? Um, how how would you possibly know how to how to influence them or anything that they try to in, uh, to initiate, right? Or as yeah. in Franco would have said, um, an event that they might try to put together or whatever, right? How can you possibly think that you can control somebody with force when human beings push back against force, right? When you have no idea what their motivational drivers are. Hell, most of us don't even know what our own motivational drivers are. We think we do, but they change every day, so they can't be the ones. It's truly scary to be around somebody who really understands this stuff. I've had students quit because I looked huh. at them and I made a, I made a statement that poked right through that facade and where some students smile and go, Ooh, I want to learn that. Other ones never come back. Yeah. Huh. They need that defensive mechanism to be in place. Right. So, and I, I barely scratched the surface on this stuff. So if I sound scary, imagine what Soke can do to you. <laughs> well, great. Now that we're anyway. all scared and we're out of time, we have to, <laughs> we all freaked out until next That's week. Right. <laughs> so the 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 uh, elite member uh, mailing list will be zero tomorrow, and uh, we'll be talking to each other uh, and no one else next week. Um, you know, so every once in a while you got to clean house. What the hell? True, true, very true. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that so, brings us kind of to the end of our time. It does. And I don't see any other questions here on the webcast side, so we'll have uh, we'll have I know we have more questions yet to get to from Gianfranco uh, as we kind of spread those out across episodes and uh, more. Yeah, I think we more have one more little, unless he throws a bunch more at us. Yeah, yeah, and there's um, uh, another kind of quick clip uh, coming uh, for those of you following on the Facebook page and the Kuden Elite kind of mailing list. You can get a first look at that. So. Uh, be watching for those good, as well. Yeah, you need to look at this because this one that, that Eric put together, I'm, I'm going to make his head swell here, and if he's wearing headphones, they're going to, like, pop apart. Um, this <laughs> one goes into a physics thing that, again, most people would never look at. Um, and I'm not going to tell you about it, but if you see it, when, when you see the video, if you catch the lesson, if you catch the physics thing that I'm talking about, um, post something on the Facebook page or shoot us an email 
to let us know that you got it or what you think you have. And uh, if we have anybody that actually got it right, we'll announce you on the on the show. Otherwise, we'll just laugh at everybody else. No, no, I'm just that'll make people not freaking write it. But um, yeah. Well, my head can't so, swell anyway. too big because I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know what I did. Well, see how much more skilled and powerful you'd be if you were actually in control of these things. <laughs> right, right. That's I got to figure that part out yet. So. I see a student do something in a seminar or in a class, and I'll go, "Wow, it's really good, man! Your, your stuff is is getting it's getting getting really 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 good." Do you practice? And they'll shake their head no, and I'll go, "Wow! Imagine how much more uh, how much better you'd be if you actually practiced. You'd be a wizard." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if wow. there's any other kind of uh, you know things that you've heard us talk about, I, I try to pull some of these things out uh, for these examples of stuff we've already kind of hit on and, and we could use kind of a good visual, but if there's other other suggestions, things uh, that you'd like to see kind of with those little quick clips, uh, certainly let us know. And also, you know, join in on the Facebook page trying to get some other conversational things happening during the week uh, with posts. And, and so interact with us. That helps it kind of spread out further to others who might enjoy the program as well. Sure. Yeah, do what he said. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that takes uh, that takes us to the end of our time on uh, this week of Kuden. So uh, remember, you can get at us on the uh, all the different podcast sites. You can now find us there on uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. We're we're on all kind of the major ones, most all of them. Um, also, you can sign up for that newsletter as well to get that kind of first notice on when episodes are going to go live. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm done. I'm done. I'll talk to everybody again next week. <laughs> Keep your hands on the wheel. <laughs> all right. I'm now. Oh, oh, good. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see all of you next week on Kuden. Thank you for listening to Kuden, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.